This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. Look for their newest line, Pristine, the only complete line of pet food made with responsibly sourced ingredients. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org slash pets. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported, nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member now. Good evening and welcome to Fun About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. I'm Chris Kuzmi. And I'm Rachel Jacobs. And we're your co-hosts through this weekly journey of all things fermented. Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Not .com. Definitely not .com. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Dave. We'd get in trouble if we say .com. Even though there was... Who's that character? .com? It's, it, never mind. Okay. Uh, so, had a great weekend this weekend. I was at uh, Belden Comes to Cooperstown. Thank you to Oma Gang um, for all of your hospitality. As usual, every year is an amazing year, even better than the last. And this year especially, uh, once again, just reiterated how much of an amazing industry kind of reunion thing happens uh, in, the, in the campsites. It was so great to see old friends um, and share and delight in, in beautiful, beautiful beverages that they're making. And the creativity, the inspiration from this community is insane. And I just appreciate and love all of my campsite fellow people, all the people serving, and I'm glad to be alive. I kind of tripped over. <laughs> I, I, Mary's laughing because, yes, I almost died, but I'm okay. I'm okay. I was not there, thankfully. <laughs> Life is good. Life is good. I tripped. Uh, don't run at campsites because you might trip over the tent stakes and then fall onto another tent stake. And that's bad stuff. Luckily, he did not fall on the tent stakes. Right, but I did pass out while <laughs> laughing about it. I, I winded. I got completely winded. Started laughing. Got rid of the rest of the air that I had. Passed out for six seconds and gave everybody a scare. Uh, I have to laugh, including myself. That video. Since he came home yesterday and told me this story, now you know. Obviously, he's fine. So, um, except for some bruised ribs. <laughs> yes, but that freak. video has been playing in my head since you told me yesterday, and I have to like chortle to myself every time because. Imagining Chris Kuzme running, tripping over a tent uh, line. It, it was a four-foot belly flop <laughs> onto the ground. It was really fun. <laughs> hey, look. Hey, all right. Hey. So, and, and it was all because he's greeting an old friend of ours. <laughs> yes. This is like a typical there. Bad things happen when you... Uh... I was thinking about what my, my tombstone would have been. It would have been like, here lies Chris Kuzme, 1977 to 2017. He died laughing, never made it to slander. <laughs> 
Anyway. Oh, oh hey. <laughs> but Please, it does. Anyway. It's coming from. It's great. Last week, also, uh, earlier in the week, uh, the, the New York State uh, competition, beer competition, the Excelsior Cup, was put on by the New York State Brewers Association uh, first year ever. I think they had like a little over 700 entries. Um, and uh, our friends at Threes uh, won the Excelsior Cup uh, for Best Beer in New York State uh, for their, their Pilsner, the Villette. Which oh, is Vliet. freaking the Vliet. Vliet yes. So congratulations to all the winners. Yeah. And we had several New York City winners, including Strong Rope, Big Alice, uh, Rockaway, Rockaway, and the LIC Beer Project. Um, so congrats to all of them. You can find out more about that at NewYorkCraftBeer.com. So while Chris was at uh, Cooperstown, <clears throat> I hung around New York City uh, over the weekend. And I actually did do some beer stuff. Um, so I went to two of New York City's newest breweries. Circa Brewing, which is actually a brewery restaurant in downtown Brooklyn, doing fantastic pizza and all kinds of wood-fired stuff, as well as, I think he's got 12 drafts. Uh, Danny's the brewer, and he's doing a great job. Uh, they have a seven-barrel system. Anyway, I would strongly encourage you to check that out. We actually, I went there for brunch with a couple of friends, and it was excellent. Um, and then I also headed to the grand opening of Five Burrows Brewing, which is in, in du- Sunset, Sunset Park. Park. Um, Brooklyn, pretty close to the, what do we take, the R, except that we actually got to take the N because it was running local. It's like one of those. You took the N? Well, because it, it was a weekend and the N was run, running local. It's always good. So our subway system is, there's a lot of maintenance and other things that are done. So some of the trains mm. run wrong. So sometimes you might be <laughs> getting on a train and expecting it to make a stop that it doesn't. And uh, then you've gone too far. But this is one of those. Those incidences where actually the the uh, express train went local and took us to the I call the, the right NR, stop. I call the NR line the never rarely. The never run. <laughs> the never I rarely. call the R train the garbage train. The garbage <laughs> people. All right. All right. But anyway, uh, so Five Boroughs Brewing Company, really close to the R train, um, and uh, also they have a they're a big thirty barrel brew house. Uh, they're big. They're doing great beers as well. It's super cool. Uh, nice tasting room. They're that officially launching open. this Wednesday at uh, for the beers outside of their place at Greenwood Park, right? Yeah, they're doing they're doing events in all the boroughs. And then we actually, in between Circa and Five Boroughs, we went to uh, Coney Island to celebrate their second anniversary. So I finally got to try the cotton candy Kolsch. Hey, all right, how was it? It was, it was very nice. Yeah. It's like a little, I would say it's a little strawberry, but it's good. Those are good things. We had a good time. <laughs> While you guys were uh, having fun around New York, I was up in Connecticut at a week-long retreat. Um, and now I don't know if you can hear from my voice, but I had a good time. And um, it included drinking a bunch of my friend Yule's homebrews. Um, they've been making homebrews for a while, and we got to try uh, a maple wine and an elderberry wine. And they were both fantastic. Wait, it was a maple wine. <clears throat> no, so it was not a beer. No, it was not a beer. It was a maple wine. Um, there was also a double uh, homebrew cool. as well. But uh, yeah, I've never had a maple wine before. I've always been interested in fermenting that because it's not too different from honey. Um, but there aren't a lot of people that venture into that. Yep. I agree. Speaking of homebrew and future fun times, uh, this month, at April, I'm sorry, what month is it? August. It is August. <laughs> uh, August 19th, we are welcoming Stan Hieronymus to the city. He's coming out to celebrate his new book on, on uh, local uh, local beers, um, beer make, being, beers being made with local ingredients. Uh, and so we got a bunch of homebrewers to forage in Prospect Park, and we're going to serve their homebrews on August 19th at Fifth Hammer in the LIC uh, at 6 p.m. and welcome Stan Hieronymus and... Uh, I'm really, really excited to taste what people have created. Um, and the night before that, he will be hanging out at Bitter and Esther's. Correct. 
um, talking to people and signing books and stuff. So that would be another opportunity to get to meet Stan Hieronymus. Do the Stan Hieronymus doubleheader. We, we encourage it. Go to Bitter Ashes on Friday the 18th, which is also John LaPala's birthday. Happy birthday, John LaPala. And, <laughs> and, uh, and then come to Fifth Hammer. But hey, we have a show tonight. And he's also doing two events on Long Island if you're on Long Island. Yes, so. and if you're on the Isle of Long. Check that out. <laughs> How do you check that out? You, uh, well, you can the find Google. the Come Google. Come on, Stan Hieronymus Long Island. It'll definitely come up. <laughs> All right. There's a brunch and then there's a hops class. All right. Well, that sounds great. Well, Chris, uh, you said that we have a show today. We do have a show today. We're actually, we're not just here to do this. <laughs> Last show of the season. Last show. What's, what show number is this, Chris? 213. We're very excited about that. I only. It's a good number. Yeah. Four and a half years running. We're we're just about to our fifth year anniversary. I don't so know how I feel I'm going to get you guys a watch or something. <laughs> uh, today we have our friend Jason Moore of Jura Ten. Wonderful! Thank you guys for having me. Welcome, so welcome to. Forget we're about, about to it. explore the world of Scotch whiskey. That's so right. We've never done a whiskey show yet, or a Scotch whiskey show yet. True. And although I've tasted Scotch whiskey and enjoyed it, I don't think. The three of us know very much about it, so we have lots of questions. Fermentation <laughs> falls in line. Yes. Yeah. And this is a whiskey with the, without the E, right? Correct, without the E. Yeah. Scottish Gaelic. Scottish Gaelic spells it without the E. Yes. That is yes. correct. That is correct. How did you come to, uh, to represent Jura, and what is your background in this industry? Yeah, so I've, I've been working on, on the Jura brand and, and whiskeys from the Jura distillery for about two years now. I originally started uh, my journey with whiskey... Uh, in college, managing a s- small pub in my sleepy college town in Denton, Texas. Wow. So from there, once I once I finished with school, I, I went to work for a distributor that did wine and spirits and a bit, a bit of beer as well. But my focus was always kind of driven towards whiskey, and specifically Scotch whiskey. Uh, so so when I, when I was working there and selling to bars and restaurants, I. I really kind of dove in, uh, and then from there, I had the opportunity to work on some some really amazing uh, whiskeys from really amazing distilleries as well. So in the past, I was uh, my previous role was uh, I was a national brand ambassador for the Macallan Single Malt Scotch Whiskey, mm-hmm. uh, and then I, I got the opportunity to come over to work for uh, a company called White and Mackay. We make the whiskeys from the Jura Distillery as well as the Dalmore Distillery in the Highlands of Scotland. Uh, so I always had a, a passion for it. I always loved to love to talk about it. Love to Taste new things, um, Scotch whiskey in general. When when we talk about spirits, it's it's by far the most wide variety of of a single category of spirits. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could take two different single malt Scotch whiskeys from two different parts of Scotland, and they're as far different as mezcal and rum. Uh, so yeah. it's it's this really really mm-hmm. unique unique category. As is with beer, there's so many different styles. Uh, so so fell in love with it, and now I've been been working on the whiskeys from Jura, like I said, for two years, and we're very, very excited because this year we have just uh, allowed the U.S. to be the first the first country to uh, get the brand-new Jura 10-year-old that we're going to taste yeah, today. Excited <laughs> about that. Um, to, the, to that regard about uh, uh, you know, different things of beer, whiskey starts with a beer fermentation, in, in essence. Run us through that process, really. So distiller's beer, not too far different from... Some of the beers you may have, but we're only using malted barley uh, mm-hmm. at, at our distilleries. So actually, to, to take it back, it'd probably be first easy to describe what Scotch whiskey is and how they differ. So in, in Scotland, you've, you know, we've been making whiskey there for hundreds and hundreds of years, you know, mostly legally since 1824. <laughs> um, but there's multiple different types of, of whiskey made in Scotland from different grains. So you have an organization called the SWA that, that regulates 
Scotch production. Uh, and they kind of def- make the, the defining uh, definitions of, of what Scotch is and what it can and can't be. So in Scotland, you've got a couple different types. You've got single malt Scotch, all made from 100% malted barley. You've got single grain Scotch, all made from wheat and rye in most cases. So those are your two starting points. Um, and when when you say wheat and rye, it's ne- it's never a blend of it's, if it's no single. no it can, so, so singles not meaning just one type of okay. of of grain singles meaning one distillery. Okay, okay. that's okay. so yeah. So but the grain de- differentiates it from just one hundred percent barley. Correct. Okay. Correct. So if it's if so even even at a single grain whiskey, you still have a little bit of malted barley usually okay. in, in the uh, in the grain bill, but. Uh, so those are your two kind of building building blocks. So a single malt usually is you know your top tier distilleries that you're familiar with. Your your Dalmore, Jura, Macallan, Glenlivet, Glenfiddich, Glenmorangie, uh, and then you also have grain grain distilleries that produce whiskey that mostly goes into blended Scotch. Mm-hmm. So blended Scotch, you take your single grain whiskeys, you take your single malt whiskeys, you mix them together, you've got blended Scotch, Johnny Walker, Dewars, uh, mm-hmm. Chivas. Uh, and then another category would be blended malt Scotch, where you have blended Scotch that's all from single malt distilleries. Uh, so this is example of this would be Monkey Shoulder or Johnny Walker Green Label. So this is taking a few different single malts and putting them together. Um, but when we first do the fermentation portion in, in, in Scotch whiskey, at, at our distilleries, like I said, it's 100% malted barley. And the barley can vary. Uh, and, and one thing that's a bit different than you usually probably find um, in, in other parts of the world making whiskey when you're talking about malted barley is that we'll use peat smoke to dry the barley during the... Um, during the malting process. Mm-hmm. So peat is something that's been used in, in Scotland for thousands of years as a source of fuel. Uh, it's usually found in the islands of Scotland. Scotland has over 700 islands surrounding it, which you'd never guess, but it's a, yeah. it's a ton. Um, mostly, mostly very small, but the ones that are inhabited, they have peat bogs on them and it's vegetation that's uh, aged over thousands of years, and so it's dug up, and it still has that that chemical compound from the vegetation previously. So it's it's cut up, laid out to dry, and it was burned in homes to cook food, to heat homes. It it has a really really high slow burning, but but high heat, so high energy. Um, and so it, on the islands of Scotland, it's still, in some cases, what's used in the malting process. Uh, and so that allows the barley to really have this, this whole other level of flavor that impacts it, that impacts it during the, the malting process. Um, the majority of, of Scotch whiskey is not peated. It's usually barley that's dried and, and malted and, and dried in large drums. So mm-hmm. uh, you're not getting that, that same kind of influence of, of flavor. But on Jura, because Jura is an island, we are using uh, a bit of, of that peat to, to draw out the barley and the flavor. Really, really kind of gives it its own characteristic that's different from, from the other distilleries that you'd try. So then it's fermented. Correct. And then distilled. And then distilled. And in Scotland, usually we distill twice. So you have, you have a couple different types of stills, right? The, you have your pot still, you have column stills, and those are two broad definitions. In single malt whiskey, almost always we're using pot stills. And the distillation's happening two times. So you're first taking your 
your your fermented distiller's beer or wash and you're distilling it once taking it from 7 to 10% alcohol up to about 23 to 28% alcohol and then we take it and put it into a spirit still sometimes it's the same size as the wash still sometimes it's a bit smaller sometimes it's taller um, sizes vary and it plays a, a big part into the final final product but it, then it's distilled up to about 71% um, 68 to 71% and then from there it's taken a little water's added and we put it into a cast to age which is uh, is the biggest and most important impact on the flavor of, of of, of brown spirits in general, but specifically for Scotch whiskey, because of the climate, we're able to age things for so long uh, that it really gives it uh, unique characteristics. We say about sixty to seventy percent of the flavor comes from the maturation process. Wait, and you said because of the climate, you're allowed to you're able to age things longer, so you lose less whiskey to okay. evaporation. Less angel so share. So less angel share. Correct. Okay. Correct. Makes total sense. So you know, in Kentucky. For example, you may be losing six to ten percent year over year uh, out of the barrel. Mm. In Scotland, you're looking closer to about two to three percent. So, well, and that's because it's cool and humid. And humid, it's, or it, it, it's cool and it's the climate's temperate. You don't get you don't get fluctuations okay, okay. the same way that you would get in other parts of the world. Uh, if it's if it's more humid, it doesn't really make too okay. much of a difference. You take the Caribbean, for example, where rum is aged. Oh, they're losing thirteen to fifteen percent year wow. over year. It's quite hot, but also very humid very in humid. those cases, cases right. as well. Did uh, so in the in the Jura ten year. Uh, is there a minimum char on the barrels? And there are new barrels that you that you use. So in, the in Scotland, we almost always use barrels that have been seasoned with something else before, and the char is 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 not something that is is as serious as it is with American whiskey. Uh, in American whiskey. We're almost always using brand new barrels, uh, and that's there's a fascinating story behind that part of the New Deal to keep the cooperage industry alive. Mm-hmm. Um, bourbon, for example, has to be done in brand new wood. So, what do you do with those casts after you age them for two to three years in bourbon? Sell them to me as a brewer, right? You sell them to you as a brewer, or you give them to me, or you give them to a much bigger market uh, yeah. uh, for, for aging things, <laughs> Scotch whiskey. So ninety percent of the barrels sitting in Scotland are actually ex bourbon casts, That's white American oak ex bourbon casts. So, okay. and they're 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 a bit easier to get when we purchasing those barrels it's it's not so much about what bourbon was in the cast prior it's about the quality of the wood okay because when we're shipping those casts over to scotland we're breaking them down okay. uh and bundles of staves keeping the cast together sure. but a bundle sending it in bundles of staves and then recoupering it in scotland um, so yeah. that's that's 90 percent of the cast the other 10 percent are wine casts most of which are oloroso sherry barrels from spain uh, and so at jura we use both we use the white American oak ex-bourbon cast, and then we also use uh, premium Oloroso sherry barrels. Now, that's a different story because we're using butts that are much bigger vessels mm-hmm. than a bourbon barrel. Um, Wait, a, sh- a butt is the sherry? Yeah, okay. so you're talking about 500 liters, uh, okay. so quite a, quite a large less, vessel for maturation. But less contact area per, uh, Correct, percent. correct. Often Plus. softer wood, too, so there is a, a, a more different type of, of, of influence onto the, onto the whiskey, but it, uh, it, it comes to Scotland whole. We have to ship, oh. we have to ship the cast. Because they're so large, we ship them whole uh, and with some sherry still in the cast to keep the cast moist mm. uh, during the process. So when we take it back to Scotland, the bourbon barrels, going back to the bourbon barrels, we then, they, they are re- recharred. Um, but at, a, at a, what would be a medium char in the U.S. or you know level level two level three, um, but it's not so so much of a focus because 
the char, on, for example, an American whiskey can impact uh, the whiskey much more in those first two to three years uh, aging in the U.S. based on the, the fluctuations of the climate and how fast, how much faster the aging process happens in Scotland. Char is not as important because we're aging whiskeys, you know, in most cases at a minimum, uh, eight to ten years. Mm-hmm. With that, we're going to take a really quick yep. break. Thanks well, for listening. To, wait, wait, go I'm ahead, also going to say, so we say are it. sitting here with, <laughs> with glasses of uh, scotch whiskey in front of us. So if you are in a place, listening to this podcast in a place, now is the time to yeah. pause. Pour yourself. Or if you're listening to it live, pour yourself a, a glass of scotch whiskey because we are going to talk about how to taste at the second half of the show. Fantastic. Ask for Jura or Dalmore. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Foment about it. This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. You put a lot of care and thought into what you eat. After all, you're a food radio listener. That thoughtfulness goes hand in paw with how you feed your pets. Purposeful pet food doesn't happen by accident. Castor and Pollux scours the earth to carefully select the best organic and responsibly sourced ingredients. New Pristine from Castor and Pollux is the only complete line of pet food made with ingredients that are responsibly raised, caught, or grown. Feed your dog or cat the new standard, like grass-fed beef, wild-caught fish, and vegetables grown without synthetic fertilizers or chemical pesticides. Pristine from Castor and Pollux. Purposeful pet food. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org pets. Welcome back to episode 213 of Foment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are sitting in the studio with Jason Moore of Jura Single Malt Scotch Whiskey, uh, who is about to talk us through a tasting whiskey, but we're going to follow up a little bit on our earlier convo about, about the aging process uh, where you use used bourbon barrels and used sherry barrels. So are those are the only two types of barrels that are like allowed or No, you'll you'll find some distilleries experimenting with with other casks. For example, at the Dalmore Distillery, we have a whiskey that's aged in it's in fact probably the only whiskey in the world that's aged in six different types of barrels. Okay. Uh, our master distiller is using bourbon uh, Oloroso Sherry, he's using Madeira drums, Marsala, port pipes, uh, as well as Cabernet Sauvignon Bariques from Bordeaux. Um, so, and bringing them all together. So it's, it's quite a unique blending process. While it's still a single malt, there's a lot of different factors that go to it. So that's the, uh, that's the quick thing. We still blend in single malts. You're taking casks, right. putting them together, calling it batting or whatever, but single meaning one distillery. One distillery. Mm-hmm. Is there ever an instance where someone has released a a single malt scotch whiskey that was just from one barrel or is yeah, it? Yeah. So we do, we do have single cask offerings. Okay. Um, they're, they're few and far between. Uh, you can find amazing things out of one cask, but we have the world's best blenders in, in Scotland, in my humble opinion. <laughs> uh, and for them to take five amazing casks and put them together to make something special, uh, is usually a superior, yeah. Uh, entity than than what you're going to get out of a single cast, but it does happen, uh, and some sometimes you, they're absolutely amazing. For example, at the Dalmore Distillery, they will uh, only do a very very small amount of single casts, and for a bottle, you're talking about five thousand dollars to fifty thousand dollars a bottle. So uh, it's for a very specific market. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
All right, so let's take us through. Well, first of all, you brought glasses, and we actually, Chris and I did a whiskey tasting at a friend's house at one point, and we got glasses like this. So let's talk about these glasses. Fantastic. This is what we call the Glencairn glass. It's made by uh, the Glencairn Crystal Company, and they worked with uh, a host of master distillers and master blenders to create uh, what, what, what some would call the perfect perfect glass for, for nosing and tasting whiskey. We nose and taste wine, um, and, and usually when you're tasting and nosing and tasting wine, and it may be the same for beer, um, what you get on the nose is often different than what you get on the palate. Whereas whiskey, it's, it's, it's very common that what you get on the nose is very similar to what you're going to taste on the palate, but your nose is really the primer. So what you have here is a, a stubbed bottom tulip um, glass with it's like one of those super tall, skinny Holland, you know, tulips that you see correct. at the botanic garden. Correct, correct. So, <laughs> what what it allows you As to do? Does. <laughs> it allows it allows the aromas from the whiskey to to flow through the glass without having to get your nose too close because we are talking about a, a high proof spirit here. Mm-hmm. Um, so this Jura Ten is bottled at forty percent alcohol, so it's an eighty proof spirit. So if you're not used to nosing spirit and you dig your nose into it and you take a big mm-hmm. whiff. You might burn a few nose hairs off. Mm-hmm. Um, then again, if you are an experienced uh, spirit noser and taster, you can dig your nose in there and take a whiff, and it's, you're going to be able to still pick out um, those aromas. Now, most would say that you nose your whiskey a few different times, similar to wine and beer, and you're going to catch different things. You, certain things that you'll be accustomed to after the first nose that you, you'll catch in the second one. Um, certain things will get muted the second time you go back and nose it. On this whiskey specific, aged an average of about 10 years in bourbon casks, and then for an additional year or year and a half, we're placing it in the Oloroso sherry uh-huh. cask. So if you do the math there, 10 years plus a year 15. to a year and a half, now we're talking 11, 11 and a half. And the average uh, of, of this is probably about 11 and a half. In Scotland, on a single malt whiskey or any Scotch whiskey, the number on the bottle just designates the youngest whiskey that's uh, in the bottle. Okay. Um, so for example... Uh, let's say there's a uh, Jura 18 coming out next year. Let's just say the little birdie told me there might be. <laughs> um, just hypothetically speaking. Now there's a very good chance that that bottle will have whiskey that's 20, 21 years in it as well. So it just designates the youngest. So this is 10 years in white American Oak ex bourbon barrels. It's going to give it nice vanilla, uh, nice citrus notes. Uh, and then it's additional year to year and a half in, in Oloroso Sherry Cast, it's going to give it more of those dark fruit notes, chocolate notes, um, you know, dried dark fruit, raisin quality. Mm-hmm. But the new make spirit is split distilled. And this is quite unique to Jura because in most cases you're using peated barley or you're using unpeated barley. Uh, at Jura, we're doing both. About 10% of the barley used at the distillery is peated. So the way we do that is one month out of the year we distill um, uh, whiskey made from peated barley. So when the blending process happens for your 10-year-old, roughly about 10% of it still has that peated barley, and the rest is unpeated barley, which really gives it to uh, a traditional house style of Jura where they didn't do always peated. Uh, it's just when you had it, or when it was available, you would use it. Um, and so what you have here is just a, a hint of that smokiness. So on the nose, for me, uh, when I first nose Jura, I get kind of bright vanilla, bright banana fruits from um, from the bourbon cast. Second time I go into it, it's more of a, a, a chocolate caramel 
a salted chocolate caramel. So another thing you're thinking about is all of these casks sitting for 10, 11 years are sitting right next to the ocean on this tiny island in an open-air warehouse. Mm -hmm. So that salt in the air is, is influencing the, the sleeping whiskey. And so it has this salinity, this brininess to it as well. So this salted caramel note with a hint of, hint of kind of campfire smoke on there as well. When you taste it, for me, that caramel and chocolate really kind of scream out. So the caramel chocolate, a little bit of salt, uh, and then, then the nice kind of meandering citrus, vanilla, uh, and bright fruits. So in Scotland, before we drink, we, we cheers, but we say slangeva which is good health to you. Um, so I'm going to cheers everyone in the room with a, a good slangeva. Slangeva. <laughs> oh. Uh-oh. Duran finished his before. <laughs> slangeva. Wonderful. So we're tasting this straight out of the bottle uh, at 40% as it's intended. There's a few different theories to tasting whiskey. Some might say a small amount on your palate, hold it there for a bit, let it sit above, below. Some might say take a bigger sip, depending on how comfortable your palate is to uh, a high-proof spirit. What happens the longer you keep it on your palate, you salivate, right? Your mouth waters, and that Mm -hmm. dilutes the whiskey down with your own natural flavors that aren't going to impact the flavor of the whiskey. So once you do swallow the whiskey and you breathe... Those flavors are really going to kind of show off. And in this case, on the back end, some of the the smoke starts to show through once you breathe, the longer you hold it on your palate. Another way to taste whiskey, if if you're not so used to um, tasting whiskey neat or um, as the distiller intends you to taste it, because, again, this stuff is all comes out of the cask at a much higher percentage of alcohol, and then it's brought back down depending on the distiller's preference of, of where he thinks it should be consumed. So it's, it's put in the bottle at, the, at the, the ABV for consumption, but you can add water and it just opens it up. It dilutes it down. New flavors are going to open up. Different flavors might mute, but uh, it, it does open up each drop of water you add. In many cases, your blenders and distillers in Scotland will, will taste whiskey at, at cash strength at 40%, at 30%, at 20% uh, before... They actually do the vatting and bring the cast together. So there's there's a couple different ways to do it. Uh, one one I recommend a drop of water, taste it. Another drop of water, taste it. Um, but when I'm consuming, when I'm drinking whiskey for enjoyment and I'm not mindfully wanting to just taste, then I I, I want to drink it the way the distiller made it for to be consumed, which is which is neat. <laughs> so I want to ask about. So we have this Juraten, which I think is very lovely to drink but what are some of the other characteristics of scotch whiskey so you said it was across the board right yeah so variety one thing uh, i didn't mention when talking about scotch is that we're broken down into whiskey producing regions um so just like you go to california and you have sonoma and napa and uh, central coast or uh, you know in, in france you've got burgundy and bordeaux and uh different the different wine growing regions um or wine producing regions in scotland you've got different whiskey producing regions each has their own kind of broad style but then definitely different nuances distillery by distillery in there so you got the lowlands first which is where you find glasgow and Edinburgh, it's where most Scots live, and it's also where the majority of the barley that's used to produce Scotch whiskey is grown. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not too many distilleries there making malt whiskey. There's a good amount of grain distilleries there, um, but the malt whiskeys um, that are made there are usually very light in style. Um, and I would guess not so much 
no saltiness because they're not yeah, on Yeah, not the next to the ocean right? in most okay. cases and also not, uh, not peated okay. in most cases. Because, again, uh, even in the early days, distillers in the mainland had access to a lot of trees and wood and other things to use to dry barley other than using the only fuel source that they had, which was peat, usually designated towards the islands. But So lowlands, you've got distilleries like Glen Kinchy, Akintosh, and very light-styled uh, single malt whiskeys. Then you go right above that to the Highlands, which is the largest um, whiskey-producing region by size. In the Highland regions, you've got a, a small area called the Spey Valley, or Speyside, uh, and this is a very, very small area that's condensed with about half of the distilleries in Scotland. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're, if you're taking a trip... Uh, to, to see distilleries, you can see a lot of them in, in one stop. The, the distilleries that you know from Speyside or that you would see regularly on a, on a bar would be your Glenfiddich, your Glenlivet, Balvini, Macallan. Uh, and these whiskeys usually are, are finessed whiskeys that are, are also light in style, but fruit forward, sweet, not peated. Uh, and, and again, there's always outliers in there where Macallan is actually a more big kind of bold-bodied whiskey that fits more in line with what you'd find in other Highland distilleries. So you've got the Highlands that also has about 30 distilleries, and, and it all range, but usually a more uh, full-bodied style. Often you find smaller stills um, or different shapes and sizes of stills to to make a whiskey that's more viscous and creamy. Um, so uh, usually big, big, rich whiskeys. Uh, and then you go to the islands, and there's one island that has its own designation called Isla. So on Isla, there's eight distilleries, and this is where some of the most dense peat is is found. And all of the distilleries on Isla use peat in varying levels, but your major it's ones use as it. much as they possibly yeah. can, <laughs> right. uh, and they burn the peat as long as they possibly can. And so they're the they're the whiskeys that if if we poured one now, they would smell it three blocks away. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, but th- those are those are amazing distilleries, unique in their own right. But if you take a a, a whiskey from let's say Lafroy, which is known to be one of the most peated whiskeys, and you compare that with something like Akintoshin from the Lowlands that's distilled three times in a pot still and very light and not peated, you're talking vodka and a heavy mezcal. You know, right. They're so different. Um, so all very different. Now, I said there's a lot of islands in Scotland, so there's seven other whiskey-producing islands in Scotland. Isla is a bit of a metropolis, if you will. There's 3,000 people there. It's about the size of Manhattan, but 3,000 people. We call that a metropolis (laughs) because you have to go to Isla to actually get to Jura. There's really not regular access from the mainland. So between Isla and the mainland is the Isle of Jura. And it's one of the most amazing places in Scotland um, and in the world that I've had the chance to travel to because you to get there, like I said, you go through Isla and you take a ferry that runs a handful of times a day. And once you get there, you, you are picked up and, or, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're in a, lucky enough to be in a car that's going across the ferry with you and you get to the one road, the only road <laughs> the on the road. island. So one single road that takes you around the Isle of Jura. And as you're, as you're driving about 25 minutes before you even see a home, um, you're much more likely to see a deer, deer than yeah. a person because there's over 5,000 red deer. <laughs> wow. Um, 200 people, 500 de- uh, yeah. 5,000 deer. So yeah. Jura actually, uh, if you uh, look in an old, old Gaelic, is, is, means, is derived from the word that meant deer. 
um, you know, Deer Island, if you will. But there's, it's this majestic place. You know, George Orwell actually spent the last part of his life on the Isle of Jura. That's where he finished 1984. Oh, is it? Oh. I also read that he called it the most ungettable place. Ungettable place. Ungettable. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> Nobody un-get-able. could find him. <laughs> but that's way. just it, right? It's, it, it is absolutely like leaving civilization as you know it and going to this tiny island with one road, one store, yeah. one pub. Uh, where where the locals congregate, uh, there's a small hotel and there's the distillery, uh, and there's one shop. So if you you know if you need to get deodorant, you better be nice to the, sh- <laughs> the person working the shop because that's your only shot. Uh, the kids, there's a, there's a school for high school for the you know I think the, the ten high schoolers and the, the younger kids have to actually take a ferry to actually get school in Isla. Wow. Um, but it, it is it is the most remote, if you will, distilling community and the smallest distilling community in Scotland. The Distillery drives the island, um, and it, it drives the economy of the island, uh, and it drives the style of, of the whiskey that it's made. That, that, that's made there, and it, it's amazing for for a whiskey that's sold all over the world. Uh, these these hundred and ninety to two hundred people, you know, th- this is this is their their lifeblood. Um, it's it's quite amazing the, the the way they've done it, and um, and the people there. How old is the company? Or so the, the distillery. distillery's been around since 1810, and it was probably there's probably whiskey being made at the site of the distillery previous, because before 1810, there was over 100 illicit distilleries on the Isle of Jura. This is a, during its uh, the, the island's heyday when there was over 1,000 people that lived there, but um, whiskey was mostly illicitly made in your home, um, mm-hmm. as a lot of you do with your, with beer now. You, you, you do it legally, though. Um, <laughs> but back then, you were making making spirits in your home um, and, and, and using it for your own purposes or, or, or selling it and trying to evade taxes if you could. Um, but the distillery officially was built in 1810. And again, we were making a, a whiskey that was aged in whatever barrels you could get your hands on. And also, we, we used peated barley when we could get it and unpeated barley when, when we couldn't um and so that's the style now um that's that we're taking it back to the original kind of uh house style of the island so 1810 started making whiskey around the early 1900s right getting into wartime the distillery closed down the population was absolutely decimated on the island uh and the, the landowners of the island didn't didn't see fit to keep the the distillery up and running. Most of the men were off fighting the war, so the story closed down. It wasn't reopened until 1963. So at a time of being well, mothballed, um, but then it, then it was it was it was reopened and it was reopened, making whiskey in a style that was more geared towards uh, what people wanted versus what you could actually get your hands on and make at the time. And so the first thing that came out then was what we previously had in the U.S. was a ten-year-old called Origins. Mm-hmm. Um, which was the first whiskey made at the new distillery that was different in style from what you just had because it was not peated at all uh, and only aged in white American oak X bourbon barrels. So very, very light, very fruit forward, very much like a Lowlander, a space side whiskey. Uh, and then over the years, you know, different, different people got to decide that we're going to start using peated barley from time to time. And we started expanding the, the different whiskeys made at Jura and, and now kind of honed down on we have the ability to make what we want to make. And, and it's, it's, it's really amazing what's coming out of the distillery at this point, as you just tasted. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this is really, really, really delicious. Um, so what, what, how many different types of products 
do you have or are you going to have? What's going on at the, at the distillery currently? So new things coming soon. Yeah. I can't talk too much about it, but right. we have two new whiskeys launching early next year. Um, but globally, you can still find the lineup that's been in the U.S. previously. There's a lot of people that had a lot of fanfare for the lineup that we had from Jura that is now hard to find. In fact, there's still a good amount of product that you can find at retail stores. And if you know much about Scotch, you know that once things go away, um, they get more expensive in value because right. yeah. there's a long, long, long shelf life for these kind of things. So um, collectors are, are starting to buy up what's left of, of, of the older marks. But So globally, right now, you can still find the Jura 10-year-old origin, which is that lightly, a very light style, not peated, bourbon barrel aged. And you find Jura Superstition that is lightly peated, um, but all bourbon barrel aged as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a Jura 16-year-old that we call Druig's Own. Um, it is the favorite on the island. Uh, and it is a 16-year-old that is sherry finished, not peated. And then there's Prophecy uh, that is heavily peated. Yeah, there's a little vial of it there. You can you can open that one up and smell it, how much more smoky that it is than what we what we just tasted. But that was the, the heavily peated um, version of, of Jura. So those, when you see them in the store, they're still they're still out and about. But but moving forward next year, we've got two new whiskeys coming out that are more aligned with the style that you find in the ten year old, just a little bit older in some cases, a little bit different, unique aging styles, different unique types of wood that we're going to be using. So awesome. exciting things coming out. Jura is is really about this this island that that kind of goes by the beat of its own drum. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's it's it's. Uh, in, in a world of its own, so experimenting with things and pushing boundaries is quite the norm there. And so the, the new stuff coming out is quite excited. It's a bit different than what you'd find normally on your Scotch whiskey shelf. Cool. That's awesome. Quick question. Why do you think that Speyside was such an attraction for distillers to open uh, or such a co- concentration? I mean, for us in the brewery world, it's like Portland and San Diego kind of thing. But well, I can't explain wh- why. Where would you want to live? <laughs> okay. <laughs> right? I guess. Portland and San Diego are absolutely beautiful, yeah, yeah, yeah. as is the Spey Valley. Um, so okay, so it's a very tranquil area. The rest of the highlands, for example, are very, very rugged. Um, it's mountainous. There's not. And in, in 1824, there wasn't many trade routes to many places in the highlands of Scotland outside of Speyside. So you had easy access to get your whiskey down to the grocers. Right. Um, the guys like Andrew Usher or one you might have heard of Johnny Walker, um, who were bunding these whiskeys together and selling them as their own, uh, and that was the market. So Speyside, you could pop up a distillery and be able to have your goods shipped out quite easily, whereas if you were in, let's say, Alness in the Northern Highlands, you didn't really have access to a, an easy trade route. There wasn't a railroad running straight th- straight through. So um, there's 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 a, a, just a host of distilleries, and they've all kind of Speyside in general wasn't the only place that was a heavily settled uh, area for distilleries. Campbelltown was actually would be distillery city 75 years ago, um, but the styles the styles changed, and when single malts became uh, a, a thing that that the distilleries focused on because you know 50 years ago every single one of these distilleries was selling their whiskey in bulk to other people to blend it right um so once once you know distilleries like dalmore and Glenfiddich and you know mccallan and Glenlivet decided to say hey we're going to make a single malt specifically 
um, showcasing the whiskey that we're making. Speyside was this light floral whiskey that people uh, weren't scared of. It wasn't too smoky. It was it was just something that was approachable. Um, and they had large distilleries, so cost of goods was, was low at the time. But now these distilleries are all making amazing things. There's only still a handful, if you will, of distilleries in Scotland if you compare it to how many breweries there right. are in the u.s right? <laughs> yeah um so we're still you know roughly about 130 distilleries oh, yeah. and about 50 that 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 make up what you find on even an in-depth single malt shelf uh, mm-hmm. or list a lot of the other distilleries are still made just for blending um, but all of them are making amazing stuff um it, it, there's 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 pride and there's rules and there's there's the art is protected and and so everything you find from the different distilleries is is all unique in its own right and, mm-hmm. and different and, and, and exciting so if you are the type of 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 connoisseur in beer that likes to go and try new things and get excited about new things when you're taking the jump to whiskey no no knocks on american whiskey whatsoever but <laughs> scottish whiskey yeah. is such a wide variety and there's so many unique things to try out you could spend years there <laughs> cool i love it jason thank yes. you so much Problem. for dropping so happy to be here today. we appreciate awesome. it um yeah jura 10 find it it's delicious and uh and where you guys have a website? Yes, so and, <clears throat> and social media handles too. So you can find um, a good amount of stuff out at, at, at Jura US. Um, again, because we have different things in different parts of the world, you're going to look for Jura Whiskey US. I'm sorry. So at Jura Whiskey US and then uh, Jura Whiskey US.com as well. Without, awesome. without the E. Without the E. Yes. Correct. <laughs> All right, Jason Moore. Cheers. You guys. We'll be back next Slange season. Bar. Next season. Yeah, happy, happy ending, season ending. Have a good summer, What do you call it? (laughs) Summer break? Yeah. (laughs) Hurry up, Dave. Play the song. (laughs) The man about it over here. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.